Gang, Chris Evans here. It's time for another small but perfectly formed pop-up edition of How to Wow with the legendary Hollywood filmmaker Ron Howard, who joined us to talk about his new book, The Boys, a memoir of Hollywood and family. The only thing I loved more than his book was talking to him about it. So please do enjoy this one. Have it on me. But first... Every morning, Tash, my wife, and I go scoop da loop with one heap scoopful of this all-round nutritional insurance, which is made up of no less than 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood, scientifically researched and blended together to support and improve energy, recovery, immunity, and digestion. Deep seaweed green, like nature itself. This eye candy concoction takes just a few seconds, like no more than five or six. Okay, ten tops. To prepare and taste absolutely gorgeous. And so, here's how you can get yours. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow and join health experts, athletes, and health-conscious go-getters around the world who make a daily commitment to their health every day. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash howtowow. Okay, and don't forget slash howtowow because this will entitle you to the special deal Athletic Greens have given howtowow listeners. A free year's supply of vitamin D and five travel-free packs today to take with you on the go. Once again, Athletic greens.com slash don't forget how to wow all right uh, time to sit back um or uh, carry on running or bathing or whatever you do while listening to this um with the oscar-winning hollywood royalty that is ron howard right um <laughs> i'm gonna cut to the chase straight away i devoured your book I, I love you anyway and i love your movies and i love happy days i wasn't so much aware of the andy griffith show which we'll get on to in a moment or two but right. the book is awesome thank my you it thank is you, awesome uh, 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 right we'll cut to the chase okay okay i've never interviewed i don't think i've ever met anybody who's under monkey uh, well, uh, by the way, you wouldn't own a monkey today. Uh, that no, was very I've much already pointed that out several times uh, yes. on your behalf before you yes, came yes, on. Yes, yeah, However, you have owned a monkey. What, I have owned a monkey. What was it like? A woolly monkey. Uh, uh, sugar was great. And my wife, Cheryl, and her dad were kind of eccentric uh, uh, pet owners. Um, it, and uh, in, in, in those days, anteaters, uh, armadillos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and they actually had a, also had a woolly monkey. And uh, we found this one who was sickly because why? Because she'd been grabbed by a poacher and not very and not taken care of very yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my then girlfriend, now wife Cheryl, fell in love with this little monkey. Knew how to nurse her, and we did. And so we got the monkey, and went. She was our uh, she was our pet for. You know, instead of getting a dog, you know how the couple gets the dog yeah, before yeah. they get married uh-huh. and has the kids. Well, for us, it was a little woolly monkey, which used to terrify. Uh, to some extent, people on the on the set of Happy Days, because occasionally I would bring the monkey, <laughs> and Sugar was, you know, she was fine, but she could be a little noisy, and she would leap from one shoulder to the other. Yeah, people yeah. had to tolerate that. Because there's that phrase, isn't there? You know, sometimes when one of your work colleagues not having a great day, say, oh, so and so's got a monkey on the back today." So, but you really did have a monkey. I did. On your back. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, what's interesting? The book, the, by the way, the book is a masterclass. It's a very gentle, but very profound. It wears its profundity very gently uh, masterclass on 
Hollywood as a workplace, and that's not normalising it because I know you love what you do mm. and you, you've always been fascinated by, by, the whole, by the whole of show business, not just the movies, yeah. but it is about this kid who at the age of four got this job on this TV show. Um, and you, know, and you, were, you were so famous, so young. I didn't know this uh, mm. till, till I read your book, Ron. Just, just, Ted, just, if you don't mind, just give people the highlights of the first sort of four till 12, first seven formative years of you in, on, on television mostly. Well, but, you know, basically, as I talk about in the book, uh, you know, I had I had to learn to to write in order to sign autographs. Yeah. So the the show was an immediate success in the U.S. This is the Andy Griffith show. The Andy Griffith what show. What was it? Very homespun show about a small town in North Carolina. Yeah. Which is where where Andy Griffith, you know, was born and raised. Yeah. Uh, and uh, had he had a. It just a, 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 a funny, oddball collection of townspeople. And, right, they, and he was a sheriff. He was the sheriff of the town. Yeah, and you played his and son. And also the justice of the peace. And right. I was his son. He was a single father. Right. Uh, had a fun... Don Knotts played his hysterical uh, deputy yeah. who was so nervous and so anxious that he was only allowed to have one bullet and he had to keep it in his in his pocket. Andy wouldn't let him actually have a loaded gun, uh, and uh, um, and uh, so it 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 was a it was pure Americana through the filter of Andy Griffith, who yes wanted humor and comedy, but also wanted a kind of honesty. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't broad, it wasn't really zany, it was very grounded, and I think it was a fantastic training ground for me, not only in the way that the show unfolded and the way it was created every week, but it was also the the tone on the show, because there was a lot of laughter, it was very playful, but there was also a lot of hard work, and success yeah. and 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 it was uh it was a tr- you know it was a tremendous success so it's hard work and heart and, and your mum and dad who but this book is a love letter to your mum and dad is and to your wife actually and, and to, to clint your brother and back from him to you because you write it between you. it's the cain and abel in many ways well yeah of, of, uh, of cinematic <laughs> and, and television and showbiz biographies it's beautifully written it's beautifully composed and put together and i know it went through many many drafts right. um uh, and but you can't tell as all the best edited things yeah. uh, are but um, love letters to your mum and dad. Your dad um, was he was not uh, he was a jobbing actor, but he was so committed. He was such a fan of the industry. Yeah. And because of yours and Clint's ultimately uh, success as kids, because at one point you were, your show was number one, and the show Clint was on was number two in the That's US, right. which That's is right. mental. It's yeah. mad. No, it was pretty. It was pretty wild. Well, the thing is that you know our parents were really the outliers. Yeah. I mean, they they were from the heartland, the Midwest. He was from dirt from a dirt farm, basically, you yeah. know. And and uh, uh, and my mom came from a little tiny town, Duncan, Oklahoma, and where her dad was the 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 town butcher, you know. And and yet they had these dreams that they could make it in show business, and and they had no business harboring these dreams, uh, and they kind of ran away together to to do this thing i mean the whole i'm sure it just mortified their their families that you know at 19 and 20 they were taking this kind of bohemian leap you know and but they they did it they changed the course of the family history and my daughter bryce dallas howard she she reads the introduction for the boys uh you know i mean i she wouldn't have found her way in the business had it not been for the courage and the and the and the craziness uh, of our parents and their own love story. So part of this, fr- from our point of view, was 
Yeah, let's look back at what it was like to be involved in television in the 60s and 70s. Let's, let's, let's share those anecdotes with people and let's be honest about it, the ups and downs of the whole thing. But it is an opportunity to, to actually tell this family story because the way they guided us, the decisions they made were, um, you know, they were, uh, they were pretty offbeat. They, they, were, they were going to the beat of their own drum, and we were the beneficiaries of that. And so we thought it was kind of worth sharing their homespun logic, their sensibility, you know, along with telling hopefully a lot of funny, entertaining stories about our, our life growing up. So you're on the Andy Griffith Show. Uh, you're four, you're then you're five, then you're six, and that's how age works. We know all that. Um, <laughs> and you can eventually begin to read scripts because you couldn't at the beginning. And then um, your dad, who was this genius sort of uh, subconscious acting coach for you and your bro and anybody who came within his orbit. Uh, and you stuck around, and the show was a hit for seven years. Um, and then you were off for a while, and then, you know, um, there was sort of uh, unconscious pilot for Happy Days, which originally wasn't called that. It was called something else. It was, it was, an, it was a spin-off episode uh, of Love American Style, and, uh, and, and it didn't sell. Uh, it's called a new family in town, or something. Uh, like that. Yeah, well, they ca- they called it a few different things. The, 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 and the it was it was about getting the first television on the block. So for it was wild. It was called the first TV, and then it was called Love and the Happy Days. Finally, right. is where is what is is where that landed. Gary Marshall was the creator of that show, and uh, and I was cast. And uh, it was a good job. I did it while I was still in high school, you know, in my last year in high school. And famous. Well, yeah. I mean, The Andy Griffith Show had been a huge hit. So I was well known for that. I then did a television series after The Andy Griffith Show with Henry Fonda, which was a failure called The Smith Family. But it was great to get to work with the great Hank Fonda. And I learned so much from him. And then I was accepted to film school, um, a little worried about the draft, because we still had conscription service. You were more than a little worried about it. Yeah, you were I, petrified. I, I was you? petrified yeah. about uh, – I did not want to, to particularly go to Vietnam, um, nor did I want to flee the country. I was really uh, unsure as to what to do. And uh, Happy Days came along, and even though I'd been accepted to the University of Southern California Film School, which is my dream – my dream already existed to be a filmmaker, to be a director – and I'd been accepted, but the idea of this show came along, and I actually thought, wow, I have a feeling that if a major studio and a network has me under contract, they'll find a way to keep me out of Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a very sophisticated line of thinking, um, and, uh, and ultimately it didn't matter because the show didn't sell, and, and, uh, and, and we finally got out of Vietnam. But it, it's odd to think that that fear, that terror, actually launched me in the direction of a, of a show that would ultimately change my life. Ultimately change your life. And what's really interesting is you then being involved in the film that right. resurrected Happy Days. Well, that's right. So the Happy Days pilot came and went. Shortly thereafter, I was cast in, in uh, American Graffiti, this George Lucas movie, pre-Star Wars. A 28-year-old George Lucas. Yeah, 28-year-old George Lucas, exactly. And, and, uh, uh, and that's where our friendship began, which was remarkable and included uh, me working for him on the movie Willow uh, and, and, more importantly, just a, a, you know, a long, great uh, friendship. But uh, uh, American Graffiti was this tiny, low-budget movie. But for me, it was a real coming-of-age story because now my parents weren't supervising me. I was over 18. I was on my own. We were shooting at night. 
I tell a lot of stories, you know, about that because, for, you know, for for me, as I, it was that it was that sort of summer of trying to sneak into strip clubs and and and, uh, and you were so underage. <laughs> I was so I was completely underage. And you were baby faced anyhow. I, I, I didn't last more than you know seconds. The bouncers <laughs> got me out of there. I never, barely a glimpse, man. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I tried. I took a shot. And uh, but that 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 movie was so special under George's direction and, and, you know, his vision so elevated that material. Um, it was awesome as an aspiring filmmaker to be around it and sort of see it happening in a very unpredictable, unconventional way. It was sort of like the new cinematic sensibility was there on display for me, a kid of old Hollywood with very traditional foundation uh, of, of, of sort of this methodical way of staging and shooting scenes and graffiti just flipped all of that on its ear and I was uh, you know enthralled by it and then it was a huge success and they start, the networks immediately said oh between Greece on Broadway the movie hadn't been made yet Greece on Broadway um uh Na at Woodstock uh you know uh this this American graffiti thing we got to do the 50s we got to do the 50s and Gary Marshall said well you've got the same guy <laughs> who actually is in that movie, in this pilot, which was pretty good. Why don't we update it? And, and what, uh, was the, what was the timeline there? Between not, pr- well, pretty tight. I mean, I, I mean, so by the time I was 19, so I did graffiti at 18. By the time I was 19, graffiti had been out, and, and I, was, I had to audition again for Happy Days, yeah. the, uh, uh, which was very upsetting. For the for same me. role. For the same role. Richard Just, it's a, you know, Look, part of that period in time was me recognizing that it's a pretty damn rough business. Yeah. You've been pretty protected up until that I, point. It was really a kind of a bubble uh, of success and childhood, you know, uh, and, uh, and suddenly I was competing with a broader field. So had it not been for American Graffiti, Happy Day, we would never have heard of Happy no, Days. It's as simple no, as that, isn't no, it? it wouldn't have and it's so bizarre that you were in both of them, isn't it? Yeah. And the timeline before American Graffiti, so the, the original Happy Days, whatever it was. I did that at 17. 17, okay. Did Graffiti at 18, <laughs> and at 19, Happy Days was on. Talk uh, about the stars lining up, uh, And by the time I was 20, they were t- asking me to come to places like London to promote our series yeah and unbelievable um, well, I mean what a tale but still at the back of your mind and deep within your heart filmmaking not acting yeah at that point I knew I wanted to be a director that was something that 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 really came to me through watching my dad who never directed film but directed a lot of theater uh, and a sort of an improv work group that used to meet at our at our house uh, and uh, so I so I was around that but uh, but all of the all of the key directors on the Andy Griffith show had been actors. And so they started, they planted the idea in my mind by the time I was eight or nine. And Ronnie, I bet you're going to wind up growing up to be a director. And by the time I had started Happy Days, as I said, I'd already been accepted to film school. I'd been making short films, Super 8 and um, 16 millimeter films, sometimes casting my brother. We tell a funny story uh, about the first really serious Super 8 movie that I made to, to actually be entered into a festival. And I was uh, 16 at the time. And, uh, and I, I made it. It was a sort of a kind of an odd Twilight Zone little three-minute film about a kid who wanders into a western, a, an old western town, a ghost town. And suddenly he's in contemporary clothes, but suddenly he pops 
his cho- his clothing changes and he's he's a sheriff. He's got a badge and he has to face a desperado <laughs> who my dad played. And he looks over at a saloon girl and I recruited my then girlfriend Cheryl to play the saloon girl. Now wife. Uh, now wife. Yeah. And then uh, and then it you know they have a shootout and then it all disappears and he wonders whether it really happened or not. So it was all built around this kid, you know, and I I had the opportunity to go to a back lot in Hollywood on a Saturday. I would just snuck on, but I knew they wouldn't throw me off and shoot this thing. And uh, we're we're getting ready to shoot. And Clint, who's five years younger and was a very savvy, smart, hip kid, you know, and uh, he said, hey, I hear there's a cash prize, you know, involved here if you win anything. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh it's $150 if you win. It's 70 $75. Uh it, it's no, it's sorry, $300 if you win, $150 for second and $75 for third. And um he said, uh, "Well, I feel like I need to have gross participation in this. You know, I'd say 50-50. What? I I turned to dad and dad said, I think he's kind of got you over a barrel. Clint said, yeah, you you know, if if you don't like the deal, maybe you can find some other 12-year-old kid who you can put in your little short film. Uh, Go uh, find another. (laughs) And we shot it. I entered it with a different name. I didn't want to use my own name. Uh, uh, I thought for better or worse. Uh, better to, to 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 not use my own name, which and and uh, I won. I came in second, and um, it was 150 bucks. The check came, and Clint was there with his palm out, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, immediately. Uh, and uh, so he got his share, but he earned it. I love the fact because you do talk about the business quite a lot, and you talk about the money you were earning quite a lot, which I you know, and I love it when people do that because often in biographies people shy away from it, and I never sort of understand why, mm-hmm. uh, because you know, uh, it's it's not distasteful because it's part of the game and it's part of the and it explains often what the situations and the sub subcontext around certain environments, especially the roller coaster, because yeah. you know you get on a show, you have a moment, or maybe if you're lucky, a few years of making this sort of outsized paycheck for a kid for especially for a kid yeah. but for anyone and then and then it and then it can evaporate yeah. and uh, you know again those are the sort of the vicissitudes it was the one thing that that I continually am in awe of is the way our father Rance who was this journeyman actor never gave up it's not like he set his career aside to sort of coach and guide us. He did that, but he did it more as a father. He didn't think of that as his as his job. They did take a management fee. They took they took a third of what a normal manager would take because even then he said, "Well, at least two thirds of what I do is just what a father should do." Uh, is uh, you know I, I have an opportunity to share something with you boys that you might be you know you might be able to use it, at the very least. He thought he was setting us up to understand achievement, to understand success in the in the adult world, and and he thought this was a rare opportunity for us to see that we actually had these capabilities. He saw it as a learning opportunity more than anything, and I talk about this in the book. So does Clint. You know, we started out earning him, and he acknowledged it, but not with guilt, not with any attitude. I don't know how he did it. I really, I really don't know how he managed to separate these things yeah. in, in such a logical way so that a young boy could understand that this is an opportunity, it's a moment, it's not permanent, but here's the reality of it, and just take things at face value. And I think that that simple 
logic, that approach has guided me for the rest of my life, both creatively and also as a, just as a citizen. Yeah, I, but I've always got that from you, you know, and you notoriously are from one of the happiest families in Hollywood in this, this sh- you know, often shark infested business. Um, it's one thing out earning your dad, but it's another moment when you realize you're out, you're out earning your sporting heroes. Oh, <laughs> you're talking about, well, uh, yeah, I was a huge baseball fan then. I still am. And uh, and 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 the the greatest star of the game at that time was a left-handed fastball uh, pitcher named Sandy Koufax, and uh, you know the star of my beloved Dodgers. Uh, his cohort was another great right-handed pitcher named Don Drysdale. The two of them were just dominant and awesome. Uh, I idolized them both, and they went into a contract negotiation. And this is before the era of free agency and sports agents, and that sort of thing. And these guys had to fight for a contract every single year. And I realized what Sandy Koufax, the number that he was fighting for was a lot of money. It was over $100,000. But I started thinking about it, and it was late in you know, the Andy Griffith show. And I was earning a couple of thousand dollars a week for the show, but I was also getting these residuals. We were doing 30-some shows a year, and I sat down and I did the math, and I said, oh, my gosh, between my salary and residuals, I'm out-earning Sandy Koufax. How old were you? I was 12. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I literally, I, it was a weird so, paradox. because I was, So cool. There was a, I was proud of it, but I was also a little bit surprised. Surprised, <laughs> and, I, and I felt like there was an injustice here. And there was, well, by there God. W- there, there was an injustice. There was, absolutely. But as you found out later, you've already alluded to, you know, you, the, you were in a bubble. Um, yes. Okay, so uh, let's fast forward to so much we could talk about here. As you can see here, there are many avenues we could turn down with every uh, conversation. So, so you go to Happy Days. You are the star of the show. The show is built around the character of Richie Cunningham. And then Arthur Fon- Fonzarelli is, is introduced in the first episode. He has six lines, yeah. and ultimately he ends up stealing the show, and it runs for over a decade. And you do, and he becomes one of your best friends, and he's the godfather to to your kids, still your, yes. to your, all your kids, and you are bestest of mates as you all were. It was a very happy show, uh, happy days, and that came across, and it couldn't have lasted so long had it not been. And you can sense that now when things happen, when it's in a theatre or on a radio show like this one, we all get on, and it comes across, and you can't fake it, and, and you, th- there's no chance of that. However. There was this moment uh, when you're in the car and you go for a drive with Henry Winkler, your best mate, your co-star on Happy Days, uh, and there's it's not an awkward conversation to be... Well, it could have been, but um, what's also brilliant about the book is the way your dad used to handle potentially awkward conversations. Uh, oh, yes. And there's yes. loads of those. <laughs> and you took a leaf out of your dad's book. He said, Henry, we need to have a chat. I love you like a brother, however. Uh, well, it, it was... Um, Henry had gone into the show, and he, and he was already a Broadway actor, not a successful one, but at the level where he was being cast in Broadway yeah. shows. He hadn't had a hit And he yet. was very consummate, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was, uh, yeah, Yale Drama School, uh, eight years younger than me, older than me, sorry, and a kind of an immediately a big brother uh, of sorts. You know, we just connected. and um, But his character took off, which creatively made a world of sense. But I began being sort of pushed to the back of the line in terms of things like compensation or respect from the networks. Uh, There's a story that I I wrote about in the book, a silly thing, but it had to do with Christmas gifts. And (laughs) as the the Fonz took off, the network decided that, you know, a great gift for Henry Winkler would be 
a video cassette player. Almost before they were invented. Be- yeah, I mean, everybody was salivating about, and we thought, wow, he got a video cassette player. Uh, you know, ours must be on the way. Those things were worth so much money then. You know, they just cost thousands then. And we all got um, uh, uh, unpersonalized wallets, just nice wallets, uh, you know, but uh, from a Beverly Hills store. But I mean, it. it it, it wasn't a VCR machine. Paled in comparison. <laughs> Paled in comparison. And the cast sort of rallied around this issue. They were pretty upset about it. Not again at Henry. No, uh, but And Henry was a little embarrassed, but he was going to keep the VCR machine, you know, uh, and uh, the player. And uh, uh, I became like kind of like the shop foreman. And they came to me. In fact, Tom Bosley said, you know, you're, the, you're number one on this show. You're the top build. You should call the network. And he put me up to it, and I did. And I called in and lodged this complaint saying, we're a, we're a very tight ensemble. You don't understand what you've done here. Yes. This is, you know, it. I know Christmas gifts shouldn't matter, but of course they do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was only 21, but I had this very sort of a, a fairly mature conversation yeah. with the, this poor executive who was catching the flack from me. I didn't lose my head. I kept it calm. I said, but I am going to be sending my wallet back to you, just so you know. And, and uh, you did. I did. I have a feeling I'm the only one. <laughs> I wonder what he did with it. Uh, well, sorry, Henry still has the VCR machine, he says. No uh, way. Uh, it's an antique now. But no, the look, it, it was creating a potential division. And it was creating for me um, a sense of insecurity. And conflict as well. And, yeah, and conflict. And b- mostly because I was hearing about it from the press all constantly. And, you know, how does it feel? The nub being that somebody's stealing your show. That's right. How do you feel about that? They were trying to stir up, you know, in the teen magazines yeah. and, and whatever, uh, you know, the sort of that kind of controversy. That wasn't happening, but I definitely was feeling like I was being rele- relegated to, uh, you know, uh, a sort of a secondary player on a show that I really took on because I, you know, I wanted the challenge of being the lead of a show yeah. and, I, and, I, and, and everything that went with that. I had this conversation with Henry um, and with never an expectation that he was going to sort of not get the contract that he could he could possibly negotiate. Uh, later, I did renegotiate. He was very supportive of that. And ultimately, I left the show when my contract was up because I had become the director. During the off-season, I had started making films. This was my dream, and I found that I absolutely loved it. And I had this uh, this moment that I describe in the book where I where I called and I said, you know, I've been in a contract negotiation, my contract's up, but I've decided to leave the show. And uh, the first person that I talked to was was uh, was Henry on set. He was on set, and you were elsewhere. Yeah. It is a, it is a fascinating story. So, what what age were you when you left Happy Days? Uh, Twenty six. Yeah, and you, I mean, you'd live many showbiz lifetimes within that. So, and then you became a full-time director from yes. the age of twenty-six. Now, I didn't know that, Ron. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I know, of course, I know loads about you, but I didn't know that that's when you started. Yeah. And so, therefore, it's no surprise when you you look back at your filmography and it's full of amazing, wonderful things. We're almost out of time. As you can probably sense, I could talk to you all day about this. Well, thank uh, you. This book is highly recommended for anybody in this business, whether you're in radio or TV or newspapers or publishing or movies or. or or whatever, but it, even if you're not and you're just a fan, this is a fantastic Cain and Abel-esque story of two brothers who, whose mum and dad basically gave them every single opportunity they possibly could. Um, but let's finish with a, a couple of things. Um, first of all, as a, as a child 
actor. Um, one of the things it seems to me <laughs> that may still be a trigger for you might be the smell of sweat. <laughs> oh yeah, we did talk about that. Well, there's know. a good, there's a, at least there's the best part of a chapter on the different sweat you had to encounter <laughs> from adult actors who you were co-starring with for various reasons. Look, there's a there, there was a lot about looking back, and I'm not neither Clint or I, you know, are the types that necessarily are terribly nostalgic about the past or, or spend a lot of time looking back. So it was an exercise that, that did sometimes turn sensory. Uh, and, you know, when you're a little kid, you're six <laughs> years old, often you wind up in these in your, 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 your co-actor's arms. You know, somebody's hugging you. Uh, sometimes it's, a, you know, an ample bosom you're being pressed up against, as Clint writes about. Uh, but, but in an era where there was a lot more drinking and smoking going on yeah. than there is today... I mean, I remember how pungent... Various vintages of sweat. You described them. They're amazing. Uh, well, uh, There's at least gotta, five you, or six you, different ones. You've got to read the book about Johnny Cash and Gig Young and some of these people. Yeah, and Johnny Cash is, as I say, different vintages. So you had alcoholic um, the alcoholic sweats, the come-down sweats. Yeah. You had lighting sweats when the lights were too bright for various yeah. candle... Um, um, uh, powers, uh, but then Johnny Cash. They that was a nervous sweat going. That was there. that was flop sweat. I mean, you could. So what he, you call it flop sweat? Uh, yeah, he was. He, you know, I mean, you could just tell. I mean, I even remember him wanting to be really good in this movie. It was a tiny low budget. So how old was he? How old were you? What was the movie? It, uh, it was called uh, Five Minutes to Live. Right. I think it got retitled Run Stranger Run. It was not a good movie. Okay. Uh, a very low budget. Okay. Very low budget. Um, and it was basically about somebody who. Uh, a, a, a guy who's on the run, a criminal on the run, who uh, is being chased by the police, and he, he basically uh, breaks into a house and holds the family hostage. And so it was this kind of uh, uh, showdown kind of a drama. And uh, uh, great guy. I mean, wonderful. Really hardworking. And even I, at five or – I was five at the time. I could just sense <laughs> – that he was nervous. Did you know? Do you, are you, were you aware of his legend? By no, the no, right. no. I no, I didn't. I this didn't. Is the peak of his powers, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a huge star. I didn't. I didn't know. And, and but uh, you know, later my dad explained to me that he was a big music star and that he was that this was an opportunity to act. Hey, later Johnny Cash became a really good actor. Uh, you know, he, he maybe a little less sweaty. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling. Flops. I have a feeling he knew how to. Sweat. He knew how to stroll through it. Look, it it was fascinating to look back. It's it was it was meaningful to us, I think, to share the story of our parents because again, it, it's a first and foremost in our mind, um, you know, a, 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 an unusual and unique family journey yeah. that we shared uh, together. And uh, and then the, the the reaction we've been getting from readers has honestly just been incredibly gratifying. Well, count me in, count well, me thank in. Thank you. It's awesome. Um, just before you go to round off, and again you you're sort of veering towards it there as a love letter to your mum and dad and to the business and to life. It's a love letter to life, isn't it? Yeah. It's a love letter to life, opportunity, and hard work mm. is what this is, I think. And um, you know, you you've turned out to be a great dad yourself. You know, you had an amazing mum and dad. Have you, got, have you got any advice, any sage advice for the rest of us, for younger mums and dads listening, just how to be with your kids? I th I think it's I think there's something about honesty, and um, not overwhelming uh, kids with negativity, but with with real honesty. You were talking about my father and his willingness to just sort of to sort of explain things. Uh, I, I, I write about wandering into a men's room uh, next to the soundstage where we were doing the TV show. And at that era in particular, there was all kinds of gr 
gross graphic graffiti. Nice alliteration. Nice. I wouldn't have even going to go with my that. My first poems, which we won't go into this morning. Yeah. but uh, As we've all seen. <laughs> yes, we've all seen them. Yeah. But, you know, as a six-year-old, I would say, what is this? And instead of him saying, oh, don't think about that. Don't worry about it. Instead of putting me in that kind of bubble, he said, well, let's have a look. Yeah, we clear his throat. <clears> throat> okay. And he explained it. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and there was something about giving, giving Clint and I the respect to believe that we could understand if he would patiently take the time to explain. And I think there's something about the patience and, and, the, and, and inclusion – with your children that um, was powerful. Also strict, uh, you know, including spankings, which we talk about. I mean, you didn't cross that line. This was, this was mom and dad's household. Yeah. We weren't running the show, yeah, yeah. but it was a loving one. And, and within it, we felt heard and we felt respected. So it kind of always comes back to communication. And I think that kind of guidance, because what's a parent's job? It's to help your kids learn how to cope. Now, my brother later went through a lot of struggles, and yeah. my parents witnessed that. And th- I think in a lot of ways they did their very best parenting, you know, sort of after Clint was out of the house, but still needed that support and yeah, love. Yeah, and you end up t- completely different as kids as well. But the thing about parenting is we're all rookies. We're all rookies on the job. And um, we it. always, we even, you know, no matter, regardless That's of That's why I'm reluctant to give advice. No, I know, but Because every just, family's different. Yeah, but you seem to have absolutely nailed it. Um if this weekend, after our chat today, people are tempted, and why wouldn't they be, to watch a Ron Howard movie, um, which one would you... Oh, it kind of... You know, I've tried to work in a lot of different genres and styles. And you really have. And so I, I, I'm, I'm reluctant to make well, a suggestion. Well, give us two extremes then. Yeah. Let's, let's go... Can I throw Parenthood in there? Well, Parenthood, uh, you know, is a movie that I'm, that I'm very proud of. It's extremely personal. It was made at a time when I was really living through, you know, a lot of the anxieties and the sort of hilarious uh, misadventures uh, that we depicted in the movie. Parenthood's a movie I'm very proud of. Apollo 13, I'm very proud of. If you're interested in motorsports, I'm Rush is a movie that I'm really. By proud the way, of. I can't believe that was 2013. That I, seems like last week to me. Yeah, well, thank you. It was, uh, you know, that's one that I was really proud of. Uh, I keep hearing from Star Wars fans that Solo uh, is a is a is a you know is 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 I don't know how you have a cult movie when you make a Star Wars film, but that seems to be what's kind of happened with the movie Solo. And the George Lucas connection again. Uh, once again, you're a lucky um, ducky, aren't you? Yeah, Apollo 13 is a movie I'm also very proud yeah, of, and your so. mum's in it, and yeah. she's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I th- we're done. Like you know, uh, well done, pal. Thank you. Congratulations on a great to talk to you on a great life. Uh, thank you. You must be so pleased. Uh, still working on it. Still working on it. See, now that's that's a typical Howard attitude, and that's how you get where you are. As Ashton Kutcher said in that brilliant acceptance speech, which we played a couple of times, you know, um, opportunities to me, they just look like hard work. And the harder you work, they, you could say the luckier you get, but the harder you work, the more opportunities seem to present themselves. Well, we're done, pal. Thank you. Well, there you go. What a life that man has led and continues to lead. Ron Howard. Master filmmaker, superstar of Happy Days, a huge child superstar, an all-round nice guy, a top son by the sounds of it, amazing dad too, um, amazing parents along with his, an amazing parent along with his wife Cheryl. Um, that's it. You're done. Uh, if you've enjoyed this, please do rate and review. If not, 